And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. the total soccer show weekend review my name is ryan bailey and i believe in the principle of surrounding yourself with people who are smarter and funnier than yourself hence on today's pod we have our good friend graham ruthman graham how are you today sir well i'm not sure who else you've got on the podcast ryan but i'm not sure i fit that <laughs> that criteria but i am good nice to nice to be on again Oh, he's smart, funny and modest. What a combo. Graham, uh, I will ask you before we get going, it seems like there's a pattern uh, for soccer folks in Glasgow at the moment to take controversial chips, uh, trips to Dubai. So are you on uh, Shake Yacht right now or are you in Scotland? Where, where are you located? No, I'm, I'm currently in Scotland right now, which is, is rare at this time of the year because I am normally on the Shakes Yacht uh, around about January time. Um, but it's, it's moored at the moment, so unfortunately not. Oh, the Sheikh must be missing you. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, I hope you get to catch up with him soon. Also making a glorious return to the weekend review is someone who has more banter than the Marine fan holding a cardboard cutout of Jurgen Klopp in his back garden. It's Taylor Tay-Tay Rockwell. Like the rolling R there. That was fun, wasn't it? You roll that R quite well. Graham is modest. I'm just wary of these introductions. I feel like they're set up to larger jokes down the road, and I don't entirely (laughs) trust you, Ryan Bailey. (laughs) <laughs> that is a wise position to take, Tay-Tay, a wise position to take. You know me too well. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about on this show, of course. It was FA Cup third round weekend, an annual tradition of being slightly underwhelmed by the uncompetitive nature of English soccer games. We'll get into that very shortly. We've also got some continental action. We're going to go to Germany. We're going to go specifically to a German team who won a game. Shock horror. We've got the <laughs> Dutch, uh, the big game, De Topper, Ajax against PSV coming up later as well. And we're going to take some Serie A action in as well from the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, All that to come, but first let's start off, gents, if we can, with the FA Cup third round. Before we get into the game, we're going to talk about Marine against Spurs, which was, um, which is the, the, it represents the largest golf in teams in the competition's history, Marine being in the eighth tier of English soccer, which is quite a feat to get this far into the competition and this be the uh, widest gap between teams. Um, Before we get into that game and, and all its nuances, how do we feel about the FA Cup in general? Because we were having a conversation a bit earlier on about how it maybe in the last few years it's lost its magic. Maybe the nature of the games and we're used to sort of having more competitive games uh, to watch of a weekend. How do we feel about it, Graham? Uh, I hate it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Tell I'll- us how you really feel, Graham. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll qualify that a little bit. I mean, it's it's, it's soccer, you know. So I, I I can only hate it to a certain degree. I, I I just I think in terms of the actual sporting spectacle, it's like it's like the analogy I made off air was it's like you know you see those clips where you get three professional players on a pitch at the same time as a hundred kids, and it's just like a novelty <laughs> to see what happens. It feels a little bit like that. And, and that halfway through the Marine Spurs game in particular, I, that was the sense that I was getting was, as, as a sporting contest, this was done. And, and yeah, there is a bit of a novelty factor to seeing a guy with a Jurgen Klopp cut out watching from the side of the pitch and all the, the non-league quirks. And I do enjoy that to a certain extent. But as a sporting competition, I'm not sure it has all that much merit. But maybe that's me just being a modern football fan who only wants to watch the European Super League. <laughs> Taylor, are you that cynical too? Uh, well, I think like I agree with Graham, especially about the Marine game. Because there was a moment when Musa Sissoko like, blazes away from like four of their players. And my wife turned to me, who was watching with me, and said, like, is he really fast? And I was just like, no. like That's, <laughs> that's just sort of uh, the... The disparity there. I think a big thing for me is that normally around this time, the FA Cup is 
like for me, a little bit of a welcome distraction because we have like a team that are 10 points on top of the table or there's two teams that have completely separated themselves and it adds an element of like, oh, you don't know what's going to happen here. Maybe one of those teams is going to lose and be out of a competition. It just adds a little bit more spice. This time around, we have so many fixtures and so much uncertainty and the FA Cup itself now requiring some uh, reconfiguring of the schedule, much to Fulham's chagrin. So I think... I am less enthusiastic about it than I normally am, and I normally am not particularly enthusiastic about the FA Cup is my slightly more diplomatic way of putting it. I am on the Sheik's yacht, I should add, so I feel the need to be a bit more diplomatic. <laughs> okay. Hello, Mr. Sheik. Uh, uh, please uh, pipe in whenever you feel like it. I'm not sure how the Sheiks feel about the FA Cup. It's not a heavily sponsored event either. I think I like the idea of the <laughs> FA Cup more than the FA Cup actually if that that doesn't make any sense in English what I'm trying to say is I I really Mm -hmm. like the romantic idea of the third round that first weekend in January where you get these giant potential giant killings and I sort of like the glamour of sort of leading up to Wembley and when I was a kid it was obviously a a very big deal uh when when, and Graham will attest this when we were younger um it was like the coverage lasted all day long and it was a very important uh, deal the FA Cup final was and now it's kind of you know you have other regular games scheduled on that same day and they moved it to later in the day and it's a bit of a, a bit of a, a lesser event. So um, we've sort of led into our coverage of the FA Cup here by saying none of us really love it. But uh, nevertheless, why don't we have a little quick chat about Marine Spurs? Because it was uh, quite, a, quite, quite a unique event at Rossett Park Stadium in Crosby, which is a suburb of Merseyside. Uh, in this uh, week, we've seen the magic of the coup and the magic of the cup. Pauses for applause, pauses for <laughs> applause. Um, this, as I mentioned, was the biggest gap between sides in the competition's history. I think as negative as we've just been over the last few minutes, this does encapsulate a lot of what we love about the FA Cup third round weekend. We had people sitting in their back gardens on top of their sheds watching a match. We've got people who, uh, you know, opening their kitchen windows and seeing Gareth Bale warm yep. up. Um, so quite, quite unique. And there was a lot of fun little things about this game, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Including, and I, th- I think you were probably going to get to this later, but I'm just going to jump straight to it. The uh, the virtual tickets, uh, I, I was talking about that with some folks, just how like very impressive that was and how it, it little things like that remind you that there are good people in football, good people in soccer who will, sh- like, what, shell out 10 pounds uh, for a virtual ticket that they mm-hmm. then are not attending, but supporting a local team or maybe not their local team, depending on where you're from. I, I thought that, like, that aspect of the FA Cup is always really interesting. And then, yeah, uh, to your point, Ryan, the, the nuances of, uh, like, where the ball kids are running and how they're getting where they need to go and random sponsorships. I thought that was pretty terrific. Yeah, that that was a, a that was what made this game a winner for both sides. I thought Marine did lose this game five nil, of course, and that's to be expected. It's not this wasn't expected to be a competitive game, even though they did sort of have a, the first shot that sort of troubled Joe Hart's goal, mm-hmm. where hitting off the crossbar. There, it could have gone a little bit differently. Uh, but but the, the fact that they raised over three hundred grand, possibly quite a lot more from these virtual tickets, over thirty thousand of them sold, as you say, Taylor. That's spectacular. That's game-changing. That's paying the wages for a long, long time for a team like uh, Marines. So um, that's really good to see. And one of the little noted, notes um, which was quite fun was the Athletic was sponsoring Marines' shirts on the back, I believe. But also, I don't know if you noticed this detail. They mentioned it on the commentary. Um, the, they had these little signs with the Athletic logo on them, but a number on each of them going up and down um, on the fences beside the field. And the number represented the house number of the house behind so that the ball boys know which uh, door to knock on to go and get a ball when it's kicked over. Isn't that wonderful? It's, that's, that's brilliant. And I saw the tweet from Marine during the week where they said the Athletic were going to sponsor numbers on the, the house's doors. And I, I didn't understand what that meant at all. But then then it, it, it all became clear. I mean, I know we've we spent quite a lot of time um, dissing the FA Cup a little bit there, but I felt this was the game that had the most... Uh, quote unquote magic about it, you know everything from the the generic kind of non-league stadium that it was played in, which if it was in FIFA would be called Court Lane or something like that, you know, and <laughs> and uh, you know getting a, a sight of even from the Spurs site, like get, getting a, a a sight of players you wouldn't normally see, like uh, you know Delhi Alley, I think you said Ryan Bailey oh, no. in, <laughs> in in the chat uh, in the in the group chat, so. Yes, um, I enjoyed this one to yeah. a certain extent, but it, it, it did get to a point where it, it just felt like Spurs were treating us not even as a, as a training exercise. It just felt like they were strolling through the game a little bit. I did enjoy Carlos Vinicius um, 
slamming the opener in from not even one yard and then celebrating like Kylian Mbappe in a World Cup <laughs> final, um, which was the, the ultimate sign that Spurs have become a Jose Mourinho team. Um, I did enjoy the 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 the, the action that the. the uh, the the I say the mischief. I'm trying not to swear here because there's this term that is used to describe that, which starts with an H and ends in housery. But uh, yes, <laughs> I enjoyed that. I think we just say housery if we have to. <laughs> um, but, Graham, I think you you kind of nailed it there. Like. I don't love when a competition, and there are certain maybe more domestic competitions that sometimes do this, that like hype themselves up a little bit and and make it more of like can, like the magic of the cup. This is the most impressive like club competition in the world, and you know it's not. Like you you know it's it has lost a little bit of the luster. And so I think any games that don't take themselves so seriously, and this was a really good example of that, do still have that magic. They do still have that allure because. The disparity in these two teams was very evident. Uh, I did think Marine's uh, jerseys were better than I expected. Uh, mm-hmm. I played with a buddy, uh, a buddy of mine here in Richmond, who played eighth tier in England, and talked about some of the the uh, like kit supply not always working and not always being consistent, and people sometimes forgetting them at home and things like that. So it seemed a bit more professional there. But you could see the the physicality, the fitness was a little bit different. But just the idea of fans embracing that and embracing the ridiculous golfing class, as opposed to billing it as some sort of like it could be the underdog story. I liked that they didn't take it too seriously across the board. And I think like you obviously you can't do that when it's a championship team playing a Premier League team or something like that. But I think taking a little bit of the seriousness away made it more sincere. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, sorry, just I was just to make a point, Ryan, the, the, one of the things that I, I really wish the FA Cup would do so we had more of that was in Spain in the Copa del Rey, they seed the big teams and the smaller teams. So actually, when I say I don't really like enjoy the FA Cup, it's not really these games that I'm talking about. There is something to be enjoyed about the, the spectacle of these games, even if the sporting side of it is not so competitive. It's games like... You know Manchester City against Birmingham City, which I know is a as a first versus a second tier team, but there's just very little about that game that really yeah. enthuses me. And what they do in Spain with the Copa del Rey is they get the big teams seeded, and so they're in the in the early rounds they're always playing like a lower league team, and so you get more of these matches. That's what I'd like to see the FA Cup doing. Yeah, and I think in Germany they have it so that the uh, le- lesser team hosts as well. So that's a, that was that's a nice little quirk, particularly when um, uh, there are rules with gate money where the um, the hosts get tend to keep. Is it? I, I can't remember. It's a, a big proportion of the gate money, isn't it, Graham? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it it, it funds their their whole season essentially. Yeah, it's like um, eighty so- or ninety percent, I think, is what they yeah. end up giving them. It's a big deal, and, and but I, I think well, things that pleased me about this game was that Jose Mourinho showed respect to Marine in the fact that um, he did pick a lot of first team players. Yes, he he did have the insult of putting Deli Ali in there as we as we jested, but um, it, I thought it was a, a, a respectful lineup from Jose Mourinho there, and we also did see some new faces with Alfie Devine just providing so many pun opportunities. Sixteen years old, I think he was Spurs' youngest ever starter there with a great uh, near post goal in this one so there were some positives for Tottenham fans to take I mean I don't think you could learn much we don't need to go through the goals or analyze them very much do we gents because there's not much we're going to learn from a Tottenham perspective or indeed for all the marine fans out there there was a banner did you see a banner in, in at the stadium for US marine fans not the US marines uh, <laughs> fan, marine, fans of marine in the US which had like a, a New York Buffalo logo on it too did you see, guys see that I did. I, no. I did not see that. I saw like the the one that was their world tour, where I guess they went on a tour, which I didn't realize. I guess is a thing that teams like around like of this size do. Because I played for a team in Turkey in a very, 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 very like non competitive division, and we had another English club come over who were a semi pro team who were on their own version of a world tour. So is that just something that English clubs will do? Will they go on a a tour? Will they go to different countries to play other random teams? I wasn't aware of that, really, but I, I, I like the idea of it. It kind of strikes me as like Santos in the Pele days. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> just, just with a lot more drinking afterwards, I assume. Yeah. I don't know how much of a drinker Pele Or was. less. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, uh, if you watch the TV show Ted Lasso, then you're led to believe that all Premier League players go to nightclubs and drink every night. So uh, maybe that happens at all levels of the game. Who's to say? Uh, anything, anything else about this game before I move on and quickly talk about a couple others, guys? You, you all mentioned- have talked about a lot of different. Uh, sorry, Graham, I jumped in there, but you all have talked about a lot of different like players we haven't seen in a while. I thought it was nice to see there was a debut for Getson. I think his name is. I don't think we've ever seen him before, have we? 
No, I actually thought I'd maybe imagined him as a player. <laughs> just, like just, a, like just a, taking shots. Yeah, like a, like a sort of like transfer gossip column, like automator, like Portuguese midfielder, <laughs> Mourinho's first signing from Benfica on loan. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> Throw that out. I, I honestly, I'm jumping ahead here, but I had the same thing sort of with... Uh, with uh, in the Roma game when they had a shot of Christian Eriksen on the sideline, who's obviously been transfer listed, and he was wearing a Roma mask, which really threw me off. And for a minute, I thought like, "Oh, has that been? Has he transferred?" And I just didn't see it. Like that was another move that I just kind of assumed had happened, even though it definitely has not. He is still an Inter player, but that threw me off. As did Getson Fernandez getting minutes in this game. An aspirational mask, maybe we'll call it that for uh, Christian <laughs> sure. Eriksen. Um, sure. If we're going to look at any other games uh, th- that happened on the FA Cup third round weekend, uh, Crawley taking on Leeds, uh, League Two's Crawley, the fourth tier's Crawley, getting a 3-0 win over the Premier League's Leeds. This was what we consider uh, the biggest giant killing, if you will, of this weekend. Uh, Crawley getting into the third round for the first time since 2013. Uh, the team they beat in the second round was a little old team called AFC Wimbledon, and they did so very narrowly. So this could have been uh, everyone's favourite team, Wimbledon taking on Leeds. It was not. It was Crawley. Oh, well. Um, interesting. That, I mean, you, you could say what you like about the strength of Leeds' team, but they did have a multi-million pound striker up top and maybe should have done a little bit better against Crawley. They did not have uh, a, I assume, reality slash real actor yeah. in their ranks. Can somebody uh, explain what the only way yeah. is Essex is? So I, I wondered when this was going to come up. So and. As as I understand it, the only way it's Essex, the the best way I can describe it in an American term is, Ryan, is it like Jersey Shore? Would that be like a similar sort of vibe? I've never seen either, but I believe that is the case. Yes. Yeah. Oh boy. So it's it's, it's oh similar to that. So so Mark Wright, um, who actually did, I I didn't know this, um, but he did actually have like a background in um in footballs before he was on on this show the only way is Essex so he he actually got an England C cap which I didn't even know there were England there was a, an England C team but apparently he played a, a game against Bosnia and Herzegovina in 2008 uh, for England C for the England C national team uh but yeah that's it, it's part of to provide a little bit of context there's a BBC documentary about Mark Wright wanting to finally make good on his uh, his lifetime ambition to be a footballer and so Crawley have, have given him a spot on the bench but I mean what a what an insult to Marcelo Bielsa <laughs> you know one of the great <laughs> tacticians of the game and and and, and, a, and a only way it's Essex uh, TV reality reality TV stars coming off the bench as third or fourth tier Crawley Town thump leads 3-0 yeah Bit, bit of an embarrassment from them. As I say, they had sort of Rodrigo up front. They had Costa in this team. It wasn't a terrible Leeds team. Um, maybe a, an indictment of how seriously Leeds are taking the competition. Well, Ryan, we, we always... Go. We always talk about like uh, one of the shortcomings of any soccer movie is that they never are able to get good goalkeepers. Like It always ends up being... Like, absolutely shambolic goalkeeping <laughs> when there's a shot right at them and they dive out of the way. Uh, and I like that Kiko Casilla really reflected that in this game as well. He kept that trend going of never actually saving a shot. He did not really help Leeds or Marcelo Bielsa in this one. So I felt like he was adding a bit to the reality TV drama. And did Joe Hart cover himself in glory. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Any other FA Cup games we want to talk about? Uh, Arsenal Newcastle for me no. was the biggest waste of time of my weekend by far. Uh, Man United for you, Tete. Yeah, we can move on. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Why don't we move on very shortly? We're going to have a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors who help support this show right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, guys, we are back. It's Bundesliga time. On Friday, we had uh, leaders Bayern losing to Borussia Mönchengladbach. They were 2-0 up in that one as well. That was a cracking game. But we're going to talk about RB Leipzig against Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund proving once again that they uh, uh, that, that RB Leipzig are an easy match for them, a 3-1 win for them in East Germany. Uh, guys, this was a game of two halves for me. A bit of a poor first half. Really came alive in the second half, though. Taylor? Yeah, I would agree. And I think a big part of that is Nagelsmann trying to change it up and then some of those changes making the game a bit more open and some of those changes sort of costing Leipzig the game because I think they went with a back three. They had uh, Angelino and uh, Tyler Adams as sort of attacking wingbacks, I think. And in the second half, that shifted to Tyler Adams staying home a lot more, Angelino basically becoming an out-and-out winger, uh, which I think was designed to kind of pin, pin Dortmund back a little bit, but it had the, I think, opposite effect of it invited more space for Erling Haaland to attack, and I think that opened up the game a bit more. And Erling Haaland essentially just waking up in the second half seemed to be a big part of it. I think he only had five touches, is what the halftime commentators told me. Yeah, it was uh, quite a wake-up for, for Erling Haaland in this game. Um, involved in all, all, all three of the goals, pretty much. And just, I think you put, picked up something there, which was RB Leipzig's defence, Taylor. It seemed like the, the, the three didn't really work for them. There was so much space behind those wing-backs that every time Dortmund went forward, it seemed like they had an overlap option. It seemed like there was just a ton of space on, in, on those uh, flanks for them to exploit. Yeah, and I think, like, Ryan, hopefully you've edited out the part where I said Atraf Hakimi plays for Borussia Dortmund, but I'm going to go back to that for a moment because I saw a lot of parallels between this game and the, the Serie A game we're going to talk about. And you're right that that back three, they had the midfielders dropping in to try to support them, but then that what gave you was sort of five central and not a lot of width. And I think it really was a problem for Leipzig in, in the way they were like trying to build up but were pretty unsuccessful in the first half. And then I think that's why you had maybe a little bit of deviation from not to try to open it up a bit more, but I think it did limit them a little bit and to some extent allowed Dortmund to maybe get a little bit more comfortable. I know you all talked about how it was going to be a long way up for Terzic, uh, mm. and I don't think that ended up being the case, at least in this game, maybe because Nagelsmann was tinkering just a little bit too much. That's sort of my takeaway from this game. Yeah, so this is interesting because we talked, uh, Graham and I talked last weekend about Dortmund's win over Wolfsburg, and we sort of said, yeah, yes, it was a win for Dortmund, uh, but there were many, many problems still evident it feels like maybe the tide is turning a little bit for Dortmund here because it was a much stronger performance in my opinion certainly in the second half Graham did you did you feel that as well it felt like this for that second half felt like the best Dortmund I've seen in quite a while yeah they, they, they were good I mean I, I think Terzic um has he steadied the ship a little bit but the, the one big factor I would say is that is Haaland coming back from injury I mean he's he's played two games now and, they, and they've got good results in, in both those games and, and, and he's scored and and there's been kind of no bedding in period again following that injury is just 100 miles an hour straight straight again I mean I thought this that this performance from him really was um I mean I saw like notes of Ronaldo the original mm-hmm. Ronaldo in in this I mean particularly in his foot, footwork for the the build-up for the for the second Dortmund goal where he kind of dribbles through a couple players and then plays it out to Sancho I think who's on the left at that point and then the ball comes back into him and he, and he heads in I mean he really mm-hmm. is like the, the complete striker I mean he's good with the ball he's fast he's physically strong and tall so he can get on the end of crosses and he's just got a mindset of of a stone cold killer and and I, I, when I talk about you know notes of Ronaldo I don't think that is overplaying how good he is I mean what how old is he, he must be 20 21 now or yeah he must be out of his teens now but he, he, he's just so good and mm-hmm. I think he, he is he's the guy for for Dortmund that changes everything I mean even Marco Royce who had a really good game here He's more in his natural position and in, in, in a kind of number 10 behind the central striker. Sancho had a good game. Obviously, you mentioned there, Angelino gave him a lot of space, but Sancho has been really poor this season and and and, and he had a good game here. He's had two good games now. Um, mm. And then in central midfield, this is maybe, I don't want to wish ill on the guy because Axel Witzel's actually seems like he's out for the foreseeable future yep. with uh, Achilles tendon injury. But when he went off, I felt that Dortmund actually had more balance in their midfield, a little bit more intensity. I thought Emery Chan offers more protection to the defence as well. So again, I don't want to wish ill on the guy, but I just wonder if maybe Witzel being out might in a weird sort of way be of benefit to Dortmund if Chan's going to get more games. I thought it was quite encouraging for them. Yeah, that was something we picked up on last week, wasn't it? So that middle two not be, being a weak spot of this Dortmund side. So I kind of agree with what you're saying there. Obviously, we wish, we wish Axel Witzel uh, the best of recoveries there. And I'll also add notes of Ronaldo. That sounds like the wine range that he's going to bring out in a couple of years. 
I don't. When you say he, do you mean Ronaldo? Do you mean Cristiano Ronaldo? Or do you mean Holland? Because I could see Cristiano Ronaldo bringing out that wine. Definitely, it's going to be a lovely Madeira wine for us all to enjoy in uh, in three to four years. Mark my words. I'm, I want to go back to the Emerjan one. I'm excited for that one. I'm not excited for that wine at all. Uh, I want to go back to the Emerjan <laughs> substitution for a moment for two reasons. First off. Uh, the Axel Witzel injury itself, it looks so innocuous in the moment. It looks like he just rolled his ankle. Then the replay, it looks like maybe he catches his toe, and that like puts it at a weird angle. And only when the commentator, I think, was he was attuned to it really quickly, said, like, I don't want to say it, but that looks like Achilles. And if you watch it again, it is – I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, knowing what it is, but – as he goes to take a step, you can see his Achilles go. You can yeah. see his whole leg just shake for one second, and then he's down. And that is everything I've ever heard about Achilles' injury. It will do that, and it's terrible. So I am genuinely very sad for him. It does seem like he, he'll maybe even miss the Euros uh, and will be out for the rest of the season. But I also agree that Emery Jean was a massive difference maker, including has like little moments like I think there's an outside of the foot flick that springs Arling Holland for the third goal or like opens up a massive amount of space and I thought he was really good on the ball but then did the midfield destroyer job very very well mm. and to some extent I wanted to like as a substitute if he came on with a point to prove and I do feel like he proved that really well I thought uh, Sancho to Graham's point is a player that We've only talked about in a negative way this season because he hasn't really justified talking about him in a positive way. But in this game, I thought that cross for the Holland header was amazing. That whole sequence was four touches between four players that led to a goal. And yeah, I thought he was he was on point. Marco Royce, obviously, with that like the reverse instep pass for the opener. Even Giorena contributing, not necessarily in terms of the score sheet, but I thought did a really good job of playing out of pressure, keeping the ball looking calm. And I just think there was a lot more confidence and a lot more positivity. Holland, when he would miss chances that maybe he should have scored, it, it felt like that player who knows they should have done better and they're not mad. They're just sort of like, ah, next time, next time I'll do yeah. better. Like it wasn't a, I contrasted going to the Serie A game again with like Arturo Vidal for Inter every single time there was a mistake. You could tell he was mad. And it, Dortmund just felt a bit more positive. They felt a bit more like a unit. And I do think that was a big part of why they were able to get this result. Yeah, definitely. I think we had much more positivity, better body, body language, certainly from Jaden Sancho, I'd say in this game as well, who, as you mentioned, had a goal and assist again this weekend. So that's, that's a very positive trend for him. Uh, Marco Royce, who what, didn't cover himself in glory last week, weekend either. Uh, uh, two assists for him as well. And as you mentioned, that sort of back heel assist for the first goal. Chef's kiss for that mm-hmm. one. Wonderful stuff. But I, I think it has to be, as Graham picked up, Harlem being the star of the show here because he really showed his full gambit of action that he could do here. Um, and we'll add that he scored two goals last time he was at Leipzig as well. But just his dribbling was so good. The way he was finding space, particularly out wide, was so good. It, 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 just, it just felt like notes of Messi, I'll say, on the second goal as well. Um, and, <laughs> as, long yeah. as, as, as long and as I notes think... of Ronaldo. <laughs> A lot of notes in this one. I also think, <laughs> Graham, uh, Ryan, sorry, that like... He he becomes so unplayable at times that he scores that opener on the 55th, I believe it was, and, and Nagelsmann completely changes it up on the 61st. Tyler Adams goes central. He goes to a back four, and it's more of like a 4-1-3-2. And then Leipzig are really, really going for it. But what that means is that three and the two becomes a front five, and if they're committed for it, there are massive gaps to be exploited. Mm. So to some extent, I felt like Holland suddenly making clear that there need to be more defenders in certain areas of the field changed up. Up, like what Leipzig were trying to do, but that effectively changed up what Leipzig were trying to do across the board, and I think opened up a lot of opportunities for Dortmund. So he scores goals, but he also forces change from the uh, from the opponent. Uh, I think that's a, a double bonus for Dortmund for sure. Yeah, and and also dropping a little deeper, I think, in the mm-hmm. second half too, more playing more part of the build up and just exploiting that space that he was offered by the the, the Leipzig backline as well. Just very very uh, very impressive performance from him. And even like on the first goal where he sort of stretched the defence um, when the throw on came in, just no one was even quick enough to pick up his movement there. It was just. One, wonderful stuff from him, wonderful stuff. And that second goal, uh, which he scored, uh, Dortmund's second goal, which he scored, which was almost, it had, it, it, it reminded me of that, you know, that famous PlayStation Arsenal team goal. It wasn't yeah. quite as spectacular as that, but it, the way that all the, all the players combined, and Emre Chen, you mentioned, uh, was, was one of the uh, passees within that he move was. as well. So um, really, really good stuff. And uh, Leipzig only really um, able to make an impact with a sort of late consolation. Uh, get, with Angelino getting a cross on, 
Um, something which he was prevented from doing for quite a lot of this game. He was tr trying to get those crosses in. And I think Munier and Akanji did a good job of shutting down that channel because Leipzig do tend to just use that left side when they're trying to go forward, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, they, they, they do. I, I, I just felt that, 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 that Leipzig... Even through like their use of uh, Marcel Marcel Sabitzer in in, in mm -hmm. midfield, who's he, I think I'm a massive fan of him. I think he is like a really intelligent player who can basically play in any position in midfield or attack. But his his qualities in 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 terms of his movement and his, his attacking spirit um, were suppressed in that role. Even if Nagelsmann's system is is really fluid, almost ridiculously so that the, the, the system is, is so fluid. But um, yeah, I just felt between Angelino and Tyler Adams on the right in a sort of, are you a wing back or a right midfielder mm -hmm. or a central midfielder? And then Sabitzer and the, the back three, it, it, it was just one for for Nagelsmann to, to scrub out of his memory quicker than one of his Champions League outfits. <laughs> and and first of all, agree on the outfit. Uh, second of all, yeah, I think with Sabitzer starting in a midfield too with Haidara, with Kevin Campbell being out, I, I, that was also surprising to me. I know Haidara has done a good job, but that feels like where he would normally put in Tyler Adams. But Tyler Adams, I guess, being used as a right back, right wing back in this game. But then, yeah, if he's not going to attack... I guess, theoretically, it just allows Angelino to do that himself, but it didn't feel as balanced. It felt like they were maybe some decisions. It's probably one of those games where if they work out, Nagelsmann is a genius, but because they did not, it leaves me scratching my head. Uh, he left me maybe like reaching for earplugs as well, because this game, as I was watching it, did not have any sort of crowd noise pumped in. He screams a lot. He screams a lot at his players. It's a lot of screaming for them to press and go running, uh, which I think then opens up more space. So I'm going to say he didn't have the greatest game across the board, Nagelsmann. The soundtrack, at least, of this game was a bit more pleasurable than the Marine one, which uh, many people <laughs> in those gardens decided that ship air horns were the way yep. to go. The, yep. the, uh, yep. the Merseyside Vuvuzela, I think they were. <laughs> I think that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's a, that's a phase that's going to catch on. So we had um, Leipzig and Bayern both losing this weekend. Uh, RB Leipzig passing up the chance to uh, leapfrog Bayern into the top spot. Borussia Dortmund, meanwhile, uh, with three wins in their last four in fourth place, looking a bit stronger, looking a bit more promising under Erzin, uh, Edin Tezic as the weeks go along. Uh, if we can just move on to another Bundesliga game we should draw some attention to. We had a weird sequence of events this weekend, gents. Not only... Did Sheffield United win a game? They oh beat Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup. Schalke done a win. Schalke <laughs> done a big win. Schalke beat Hoffenheim 4-0. And Taylor, one of your countrymen, had a rather good performance in this one. That he did, Matthew Hoppy. Uh, I, I now can say his name with some confidence. A week ago, I could not, but I certainly can now. <laughs> Gets the hat trick, and I, I actually am excited to hear you all if you all have thoughts on him, because I have obviously have a bit of the bias when it comes to Americans. I will find a way to shoehorn and Gio Reyna into a conversation, for example. And I thought all three of these were very, very good goals. I will say that... For the second and third, I mean, Harit deserves a lot of credit uh, for what happens, but I thought his finishes were excellent. I thought his positioning was very good. And I really en enjoy anytime you can see a team like so desperate to win that when he scores every single one of these, they're celebrating emphatically. And I know part of that is because he's so young and it's exciting when a teenager has this sort of breakthrough, but I have to assume at least some of that celebration was pent-up frustration from a whole bunch of defeats finally getting to enjoy a result. Yeah, Matthew Hobbit is the third American with a hat-trick in one of Europe's top five leagues, with uh, Dempsey and Pulisic being the other two. And he's got this in his fifth Bundesliga appearance. Uh, it sounds like Taylor has hopper-hopper hopes for the national team, hey. shooting for the Stars and Stripes in the Bundesliga, trying to change the lyrics that didn't quite work out. But Graham, <laughs> what do you think about uh, Hopper here and yet another young, promising US talent in Europe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the composure and maturity shows in, in all three goals, particularly, I mean, I always like a, a chipped finish, so that the first... Oh, yeah. And the, and even the third one was is, is, is slightly uh, is slightly chipped over the goalkeeper. So m magnificent! I think he did it all in twenty one minutes as well. It was all it was all very yeah, quick fire. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I write a lot about um, American soccer and, and MLS in particular. I, I have to admit, I, I before the weekend, I didn't I didn't know who this this kid was, and it's getting to mm -hmm. the point where. America's the new Belgium in terms of producing young players. 
emerging at big European clubs, and you look through. Oh, who's who's this kid? Oh, right, yeah, he's, he's another American. And I'm not. I'm, I'm. I say that with my tongue slightly in my in, in my cheek, but also not really. I mean, it's a it's it's getting a little bit silly now. I mean, you know, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKenney, Sergino Dest at Barcelona, mm-hmm. Gio Reyna, who you mentioned, Tyler Adams. We've also mentioned. Keep going, Graham. Keep going. Keep uh, going. I'm Keep trying. Going. Come on. He's Chris, nearly there. Chris Richards <laughs> at Bayern Munich. Uh, Musa Valencia, Conrad De La Fuente at Barcelona. Brian Reynolds is. It seems like he's going to uh, to Juventus. I mean, uh, wow. And I know. I'm just swooning. I know America missed out <laughs> on the last World Cup, and that was a bit of a disaster. But you guys have got to be pretty, pretty encouraged and pretty positive about the future. I mean, that that if all those players and a lot of them are already coming to maturity, guys like Pulisic, McKenney, Dest, Reina are already first teams and uh, first team players and for big clubs. You guys have got to be thinking not just getting to World Cups and doing well in group stages. You've, you've got to be thinking about challenging. I mean, the only thing that has me more excited is Graham's uh, effort at not cursing on the show, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was a, you've got to be pretty excited. <laughs> I feel like that was another word that was going to be inserted in there. Uh, I, I will, I think um, many American fans uh, will never be fully convinced that like things are going to go well. Um, and I think like, like, I think we're, we're sort of, this is a weird insight, but like, I think we're sort of wary of the sports like the what's the fam- the famous one with like a mediocre player being listed as like the greatest player of all time and american like sports anchors tend to hype up soccer achievement so much that there's that element of like we're gonna win it feels very like a thing that a 90s uh, sports center anchor would have said without knowing how to pronounce the players names so there's always a bit of trepidation to be i think entirely positive about the u.s national team but with that caveat, I agree with you that I think this is probably like the deepest the talent pool has ever been and the most exciting it's ever been with how many youngsters are there. Because even with Clint Dempsey, not to say that he was old, but he was certainly not a 17-year-old when he was like breaking through with Fulham and then uh, having a mildly successful time with Tottenham. So I think that it's so many Americans doing exciting things at such a young age definitely has me uh, pretty enthusiastic, and I will always take the opportunity to talk about it. I don't know if we're going to win the 2026 World Cup. I have already awarded uh, Matthew Hoppy the Ballon d'Or, and I think he's the third <laughs> American I've done that for in the last month or so. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty optimistic. I, I think well, one of those... the biggest – sorry, just, just talking talking from kind of the Europeans' perspective, one of the things – one of the biggest differences is I think American players are now actually fashionable. So you see Juventus going to FC Dallas, uh-huh. going to get – Ryan Reynolds. I don't think that happens without Pulisic having, you know, made his mark. Without McKenney doing well, at, at, obviously at Juventus, Dest, Reyna, all these guys. I don't think they go to MLS for someone like Reynolds if that hasn't happened before it. And I think that is a massive, massive change for American players, where the biggest clubs now look at American players with a, a degree of credibility that wasn't there before. I don't think. Yeah, that's interesting. Matthew Hopper came from the Barcelona Residency Academy in Arizona, by the way. That's an interesting note. And with all these young, talented, teenage uh, US prospects coming through, Graham, I think this is just yet another reason we've seen recently that we need to revoke America's independence, don't you think? <laughs> I'm not sure a football podcast is the place for us to uh, to propose that. But yeah, sure, why not? If this is where the movement starts, then so be it. <laughs> Yeah, this is this will be the spot. I, I, I'm talking in jest, of course. One thing I did note about this, by the way, uh, I don't know if you saw Weston McKenney's Instagram, but when Schalke got this win, he was like going nuts on his Instagram. He was chanting with a German accent in his chant as well. Yeah, he was. It was charming. <laughs> that that song is uh, very popular with Schalke fans and then very easy to mock if you're not a Schalke fan is what I learned in my time in Germany, that it's very easy to sing those that, that exact same song and make it sound even sillier than it already does. But I did love Weston McKinney singing it with the German accent, uh, having a few words as well, I think, with a German accent. It made me, it made me really pumped that he, he still cares about that club because it felt like a situation that he would have been desperate to get out of and that he is still willingly watching Schalke games in his off time is a surprise, but a welcome surprise. Yeah, it's odd to see someone cheering for their former team like that, but to quote Larry David, it's nice to be affectionate to something German. So um, (laughs) well done to Schalke for the 4-0 win there. Uh, any, Any more on this one, gents, before we move on? No, that's it for me, other than Amin Harit, again, being the 
Another very inconsistent but exciting player for Shaka, who sometimes looks like he should be starting for one of the top teams in the world, and then other times looks like he's never kicked a ball before. In this game, it was the starter thing, where he, I think, assisted all three of Hoppy's goals, and then he scored one himself for the fourth. So a solid game for him as well, but uh, the Ballon d'Or goes to Hoppy. Yeah, just the golden three assists for Harit there. Just yeah, an just average that. day out on just the that. park for him. And uh, once again, I'm still astonished that Christian Gross is the manager of Schalke. I still can't <laughs> believe that's a real thing. There we go. We're going to uh, move on and talk some Dutch <laughs> soccer and some Italian soccer very shortly. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All righty, we don't cover nearly enough Eredivisie on the Total Soccer Show. We're going to rectify that right now. Ajax took on PSV in De Topper, the big one um, in Dutch soccer. Back from a two-week winter break is Eredivisie. This was a fight for top place. Ajax were top at the start uh, of proceedings here, and they remain so with a 2-2 draw at the newly named Johan Cruyff Arena. Um, Ajax came into this game with a draw, uh, their previous game against Willemsvee, which is how you pronounce it apparently, um, in a quite a scoring spree as well. 52 goals in 14 matches prior to this. But it was very much PSV who uh, got uh, the, the good start in this game and they looked very, very impressive from the start here with uh, Aaron Zahavi getting two goals and two assists there for, from Daniel Marlon, previously of Arsenal. Um, I think this is one of many instances where Arsenal may be full of rue and regret having let Daniel Marlon go because he looks like he's a superstar in the making. Does he not, Taylor? He does. And I think this was uh, another good example, to your point, of Arsenal sort of like maybe not having the foresight to keep these players around or maybe just send them out on loan and bring them back and see what they can do. Because even uh, in that Schalke game, the first goal comes from a Sead Kalasinac like power header to launch the counterattack. So it felt fitting that then more former Arsenal players were doing big things. And I think that combination from Maland with Zahavi, the way they were able to sort of just keep the ball moving really through Ajax off, and it's a big reason why they took the lead, was Zahavi getting both, as you said, Maland getting both of the assists. But they just looked very difficult and dangerous to play against and handle, and it's one of those situations when Ajax then commit more numbers to dealing with those two, it takes focus away from other players who are then given more freedom, given more license, and so Ajax, I think, really scrambling, especially going down, what, 2-0 in the first 20 minutes or so? Yeah. Like, really scrambling to see out the half, getting a goal, for, I would say, somewhat fortunately, but I thought having to kind of deal with that attack in the beginning uh, and the talent of Malin was certainly a big part of why they had to play from behind. And Marlon with the uh, the first assist there, borrowing from Marco Royce with the uh, slick back heel. Very yep. nice uh, very nice goal that was. And uh, interesting from a PSV perspective, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who used to work as a scout for PSV during this game and sort of getting some insight from him. It was pretty fascinating. And so um, 
I was he, he was I was, I was talk, talk, talking to him about the formation here, and I was saying well, this looks quite Hassenhutl esque from PSV. Had starting off with that four two 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 sort of mm-hmm. narrow shape with the outside midfielders as double tens, and then uh, he you know Roger Smith's got a history. He was with RB Salzburg and Leverkusen in the past, so he's kind of got some of that in his DNA there. But it was really interesting to see how they set up and uh, how you know Ajax for context here are the team in. Holland, of course, who have a ton of money. They spend a lot of money every summer. And they were made to look second best for a long period in this game, Graham. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the the, the, the tactical blueprint from, from Schmidt here because 4-2-2-2, two, 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 I mean, it's even awkward to say. It, it is. On, on, a, on, a, on a tactical, you know, on a, on a chalkboard, it, it just looks to me like it shouldn't work. It looks like, you know, there's obviously far too much space uh in the, in the wide areas and, and and I suppose you're you're really relying on having fullbacks that can basically control a whole wing on their own and and in that sense PSV are, are, are pretty fortunate because they've got uh, Philippe Max and, and in particular Denzel Dumfries who I, I think is is, is is really good and, and I've watched him a lot for the the Netherlands national team but it, it was a, it was a really interesting system obviously as as, as Taylor kind of alluded to there that the, the, they were Built around the the front two of uh, of uh, Malin and and Zahavi. By the way, I am utterly sick of watching Erhan uh, Zahavi. Scotland have played Israel four times in the last year, <laughs> and he. I don't know if you know. I've checked his international scoring record. He is prolific with a capital P. I think he's got something like thirty goals in fifty games, and I'm pretty sure about twenty nine of those goals have come against <laughs> Scotland. So I didn't uh, appreciate watching him. Uh, Bag. Uh, he got both goals in this game, didn't he? Or, uh, and uh, yeah, mm. so he, he's he's a he's a, a a very talented player. Who, if we're talking about Malin, I think Zahavi flies under the radar a little bit. Um, I, I I am obviously joking. I, in terms of his uh, style of play, I, I do enjoy watching him, but uh, I just wish he wouldn't <laughs> score against Scotland so often. But yes, yeah, so <laughs> I do. I do love those players that you like. Like there's a few of those for me as well that they've just done like random moments and random friendlies against the United States, but I will forever fear them or be wary of them when they're playing. I yeah, I like that Zahavi is one of those for you, Graham. Yeah, yeah and Zahavi, um, this this sort of being deemed as his best performance yet for PSV, he had, had a bit of injury issues and uh, not done an awful lot until this game. So very good for him to get into here. Also worth noting that Mario Goetze is on the books at PSV. He's injured at the moment, yep. so he didn't feature <laughs> in this game. It would be of course Mario Goetze being injured a surprise, surprise there. But um, uh, that would that would have been uh, interesting to see him involved in this one as well. But they they had a lot of very interesting players here, as Zahavi being one of them. Sangari was their sort of big big signing uh, in, in the summer, and you mentioned Dumfries there. I thought he, I've seen better from him, Graham, because he was he gave up the sort of a very poor clearance for the equalising goal. I actually equalising goal for two two, um, which Anthony scored later on, uh, which was a really nice team goal as well. But I thought that um, he has had better performances, but as, 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 is a quality player as well. And if we talk about Ajax as well, there's a lot of players we recognise on this team, and they haven't quite been pulled apart. You know, they had to they sold off a few players when they made that deep Champions League run um, back when they did, and, and got knocked out by Tottenham in, in glorious circumstances. Uh, West Ham no longer have Sebastian Haller because he is with Ajax. He's coming on uh, in the second half of this game. And I thought he was a massive, massive difference maker for Ajax. Made me wonder why Eric Ten Hag didn't start him in this game. Maybe he should have done. Had instant impact. I think he had the ball in the net for an offside goal. Maybe one of his first touches. Almost scored a winner in the 91st as well. Sebastian Haller being really good is something we haven't seen in the Premier League. So this was kind of (laughs) nice to see, wasn't it? It really was, and I was really sad that that goal did not stand. Like, I understand it's we're not going to get into VAR debate or anything like that, just that it was very, very close, and it feels like one of those moments when, like, oh, it's his debut, he comes on, he scores. The narrative is great, just let it stand. But obviously you cannot because rules are rules. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I thought uh, Haller was... It was. I was confused by the move because, like Ryan, to your point, when you think Ajax lately, you think 19, 20 year olds who are all going to be sold on for a ton of money to mm. spend twenty million pounds thereabout on a twenty six year old. I think it is doesn't feel like a traditional Ajax decision. But then it's a player who's been in the Eredivisie. They obviously have scouted and have a lot of familiarity with and know what he's going to bring in. And also the world being the world, I know we have like the. COVID related like downturn in transfer fees, but twenty million for a goal scorer that can make a big difference for you. Maybe not that much money. So maybe he'll end up being one they flip on. Maybe he'll be one who stays there for forever. But at least right now, it seems like it will be a very smart move for them. 
Yeah, I, my, my prediction is that Haller's actually going to put up some pretty big numbers for, for Ajax. I, I think, I suppose, I, I totally get what you're saying, Taylor. It doesn't, it didn't feel like a completely natural fit for Ajax, but I, I look at maybe someone like Dusan Tadic as, as, the, as yeah. the format for that. So they obviously saw a player who wasn't being utilised in the Premier League to the best of ability, took him on, and obviously he's been hugely successful in Holland and obviously in the Champions League. I think Haller... If you look at his Eintracht Frankfurt um, days, where he was he was really good with uh, Luka jo- uh, Jovic, I think it was he he played in that same team, the team that made it quite far in the Europa League. Um, oh yeah, there's clearly a player there, and and I just think he gives Ajax something that they that they uh, lack in a kind of orthodox number nine, someone who's going to get on the end of a lot of chances, and he is going to get on the end of a lot of chances in the Eredivisie for Ajax, and I think that might be the difference between playing for Ajax, who are the dominant side in, in Holland, and then playing for, you know, David Moyes' West Ham. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Graham, that's really interesting. There. You're right, though, with the Dusan Tadic one, like, Daily Blint, sort of that as well, like, obviously, leaving Ajax or Man United, but then returning. There, it's like a twofold, twofold trajectory or threefold of coming through the academy, a young player they've brought in who maybe then plays for the academy a little bit and then makes the first team, or a, a veteran who has Eredivisie experience or Ajax experience, Coming in and making a difference. So yeah, it's, it's I like their their threefold approach. I also wanted to say one of my favorite things about this entire conversation, uh, f- as a person who always puts in way too many twos into the PSV formation, I appreciate both of you handling that one, but also struggling with it as well. It reminds me of the Dimitri Martin joke about spelling banana and not knowing when to stop because you can just keep going and eventually you get like banana 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 banana. That's what it feels like with a four two 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 two. I only know how to spell banana because of Gwen Stefani. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. That's how I remember it these See, days. See, but you always make it plural. You, you, you never give it a singular banana. That's the problem, Ryan. The problem. And we both, did, we both did take four, two, two, two very slowly and carefully. So I appreciate <laughs> that we both got it out properly, Graham and I there. I think my, my main takeaway from this game, gents, is that I don't watch enough Eredivisie because this was very, very entertaining pretty much from start to finish. Um, I delayed my watching of Spurs because the, the second half overlapped with it. I thought this was really, really fun game to watch and um, uh, in the US we have uh, uh, full access to the Eredivisie mostly on ESPN Plus this which was uh, the, the network that broadcast this particular one D- maybe maybe we should pay attention a little bit more to the Dutch soccer yeah I, I, tra- well, I may- kind of went a bit Dutch with my uh, end of my shuns yeah <laughs> yes you did uh, and I think uh, if they want us to do that maybe Ajax and PSV should play their Americans that they have in their academies that's my answer to that statement <laughs> There's some Americans there as well. Oh, for goodness yeah. sake. There's number 10s for both of them. <laughs> yup. <laughs> we're all over the place, Graham. You can't stop us. We're fleeing our country, <laughs> and we're trying to find other places. It's American globalization at its finest, Graham. I think you're fine. So um, <laughs> let's, uh, why don't we, if, if there's anything else to say on the Eredivisie before we move on to our final game of the pod... Nope. Yeah, I would just like to thank a lot of different European nations for having very uh, lax regulations when it comes to getting a passport. <laughs> the UK maybe used to be one of those, might be a bit different from this January onwards. Who knows? Anyway, let's turn our attention to Italy. Roma taking on Inter Milan. This one also finishing 2-2 with Milan staying, uh, AC Milan staying three points clear uh, with a 2-0 win over Torino this weekend. And also Juventus getting a, a 3-1 win over Sassuolo in which the aforementioned Weston McKenney uh, unfortunately off injured in the first half of that one. But it was Roma who didn't take the chance to go level on points with second place Inter in this one. One of the biggest surprises and shocks, guys, from this game for me was that Roma at the Stadio yep. Olimpico, when they score, <laughs> yes. they use all the small things by Blink-182 as their celebration music. What? That is literally the number one thing in my notes for this game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't what was that it? about? Is, is that a normal thing? Do they, is that a new thing? Does it sound like a normal thing? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the, my my favorite one of these for the longest time has been Galatasaray playing a techno version of "I Will Survive" by Gloria Gaynor, <laughs> uh, but which always felt a strange one for like a team that consistently wins the title to be playing "I Will Survive." Uh, but yeah, all the small things, not one I was really ready for, and they only play like a ten second blast like before the singing starts, so it almost feels like they're playing it royalty free. <laughs> Is it? It's, it's almost immodest as well. All the small things. What are they trying to say about themselves with that song? I don't get it at all. <laughs> See, I, I, these are the types of things that I spend way too much time thinking about and then have to go back and watch the like previous seven minutes. It's like when you're reading a book and you get distracted and then you read four pages but don't actually read them. Like I really did 
spend a lot of time like analyzing this in way too detail. Like, are they saying that they're focused on the details and that that means when they score that it's not about the individual, <laughs> it's about all the detailed work that went into it? Way too much time, way too much thought put into all the small things by Blink-182. <laughs> Maybe we should turn our attention a little bit to uh, the game in question here. 2-2 two, two finish, as I mentioned, uh, with Inter being the visitors at the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, we can talk about him for a little bit here. Uh, didn't get on the score sheet, did get in the referee's notebook for a yellow card. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, Taylor, there was a, there's a little um, course of action that Romelu Lukaku took at one point in this game, which I understand you'd like to talk about. I mean, I, I think I, j- I joked in the in the group chat that I had a tight 20 minutes on this one. It really was, uh, like, I think it's because I had seen that before I actually watched the game, and it was just such a hilarious moment of, I am, and I understand the, the thing, it's like, he's been fouled so much in the this game. Is, this and is even, a dive, by the way, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, sorry. Context. Yeah, but it's just like, he's been fouled so much in the game and so much in the lead up to this moment, that at a certain point, a striker will just be like, all right, you're going to give me advantage, right? And they'll just fall over. And that's sort of what he went for here. It was just horribly timed with the referee right there. So watching it again, and there being no contact, and the commentator sort of trying to figure out what happened, it... It made me happy, uh, but I did understand why he did it, because he does get fouled a lot, especially with the way Inter played in the first half. The question I have for both of you about Romelu Lukaku is the commentator said, we stereotype Lukaku as a wonderful finisher, and then I think talked about some of the other aspects of his game. I genuinely cannot tell if this is just like my Man United bias, so I would like to hear what you all have to think, but is that a thing we stereotype Lukaku as, like a clinical, wonderful finisher? Because I, I don't think mm. that's what I would say is the strongest part of his game. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a massive Lukaku fan, but if I was to say the stereotype that has... Um, really not benefited over him over the course of his career is that y- you lump long balls into him and use him as a target man. And mm-hmm. that he, I would actually say the opposite, that he misses a lot of chances as this yeah. as the, kind of the stereotype. Um, I think he, I think he's brilliant. And I think Antonio, Antonio Conte has been one of the few managers who has recognized the sort of striker that he is, which is you get him with the ball at his feet. I mean, I know he's a big physical, physically strong and, and, and imposing guy, but actually... He's not very good at holding the ball up. And what you want to do is you get, want to get him running towards goal, which is what Inter do. And there was a chance here for Latero Martinez, which I'm mm. not quite sure how he didn't score. I think Paolo, it was Paolo Lopez that made the save and, 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 and goals for Roma. But that comes from uh, Lukaku basically taking the ball into feet, turning and just running to the byline oh, yeah. and crossing. Into, and it was a great cross as well. And the only other manager who seems to have grasped this in his whole career is, is Roberto, uh, Roberto Martinez. For, for Belgium, and I think back to the 2018 World Cup where Lukaku was genuinely one of the, the best players at that tournament, and Martes played him on the right wing in a quarterfinal against uh, against Brazil, and he was brilliant because he because he, he, he can play that way. So um, that's a long answer to your question. That is not how I would stereotype uh, Romelu Lukaku, but I'm, I'm pleased that Antonio Conte uh, recognises what, what he is. Yeah, that was interesting. I was going to bring up that cross as well for Martinez for that chance. That was really, really nice play from him. And just to go back to that dive, I, I think it was quite opportunistic of uh, Lukaku. It did look hilarious. He sort of went down in slow motion, his arms flailing dramatically. But if you look at what was the situation there, he's about a foot and a half outside the box. He's got three red shirts in front of him. He's got no one open for a pass. He's just like... Yeah, I'm going to hit the deck here and see see how the chips <laughs> fall. I think on this one, so that was that was very interesting. The, the, the thought process that must have gone behind him um, fall, falling down there. It wasn't for a penalty. It was just a, uh, this is this is my last chance of getting something out of this uh, this move. Um, but uh, if we're talking a little bit more about Inter here, um, Hakimi, who we mentioned earlier on in the context of Borussia Dortmund, um, really really good as a right wing back in this game, scoring um, into second goal with a left footed stunner on his on his weaker foot. There, really really brilliant there. Um, the Roma defence being quite stretched when uh, when Hakimi came in for that one. I thought um, Brozovic was very good in this game, getting uh, both assists from the middle of the park there as well. I thought that the game, um, that, that basically Antonio Conte cost his team the game here, and this is a point that's been made elsewhere, it's not original, but with his second half substitutes here, um, taking off Martias, taking off Vidal and taking off Hakimi and sort of trying to defend a lead with the kind of defence that Inter have, rather than trying to continue to play to the strengths that Inter have, it was a risky move that didn't pay off. Yeah, it didn't. Sorry, I, I was wondering if Taylor was going to come in there. Yeah, it didn't at all. And and, and, and Conte has, has faced a lot of questions about it. I mean, um, Hakimi for me right now is, is maybe the best wing back in, in European football. Um, mm. He's tailor-made to play in that Conte team. 
He's got six goals this season. He's the, la- the, the last Inter defender to score six goals in a season was Mykon in the treble winning season. Um, and taking him off after 75 minutes just robbed Inter of of an outlet, really. And, and it just invited pressure on top of themselves, as you said. And it got to the point where the pressure from from Roma from Roma just told, and and uh, you know they're they're a fairly lethal team as well. I mean, Fonseca's moved Roma away from a possession based team where you might have been able to see out the last fifteen minutes of a game by just holding them at arm's length to a much more mm. kind of rapid. Um, I wouldn't say counter attacking team, but they, they they certainly like to play in transition, and and in the end. Um, it really did feel like a goal was coming, and 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 that's what happened. So yeah, I, I was a bit confused by Conte's substitutions, and 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 really should have continued with the the game plan that had worked well. It felt a bit like an archetypal Inter performance up until about fifty minutes from the end, where Inter fell behind and then ground their way back into the game through a header from a set piece and then a bit of individual brilliance. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've watched this sort of game twenty <laughs> times from Inter over the last two seasons. Um, but yeah, a, a bit of a a mistake from Conte with his subs. I was, yeah. I was, so I saw Ryan, your note, sorry to jump in really quickly. Well, hopefully quickly. Um, I saw your note on this one before I watched this game. So knowing that there was a narrative of like, did Conte get it wrong? I Watching that first half, I was already sort of like, what's happening here? Because the commentator kept saying like, Inter haven't quite got going yet. I was like, it's the 37th minute. <laughs> like it's, the half is almost over. <laughs> if they haven't gotten going, something is wrong. And then the way they come out in the second half, I have to assume he just screamed at them for the entirety of the ha- of like the halftime speech. And they come out and they, they start so well that to me, I was very confused by your note until he makes those changes. Hakimi coming off, he said it was exhausted. Maybe that's one. But Latoro Martinez, uh, Nikki Bandini and her guardian uh, breakdown made this point that he said Martinez also exhausted and Latour Martinez was the one who very clearly said me when when the the substitution board went up like he was not expecting that one mm. and i do think that with those changes the obvious desire was to give Inter a bit more defensive stability as Roma were getting more aggressive in their attack and finding more opportunities to attack. And I think sometimes that that change can really work if it leads to frustration. If the opponent keeps getting chances, but they're never full chances, they're half chances, they can't quite find a way through, it can make them more panicked, it can make them more rushed. But the changes that Conte went for, instead it felt like they just invited more Roma pressure and made Roma more confident in their attack. And then, obviously, little mistakes like giving the ball right back to Roma for the equalizer, also not really helping. So, yeah, I don't think Conte did a great job. I don't think his players did the best job either in seeing this one out. Yeah, Conte wouldn't be happy with the defending for that 86-minute equaliser as well. A corner played short and uh, sort of the glancing header from uh, Gianluca Mancini. Uh, not the best uh, set-piece defending there. And neither for, for the equaliser that uh, Skriniar scored as well from a corner. Um, pretty much uncontested, although, you know, when the big man gets his head on it, it's quite difficult to... Uh, I don't... Def- Dude, I don't have an I don't have an answer for what they do. So, sorry for interjecting again, but the screener header I am so confused by because it's the way Roma seemed to defend corners. They did it a couple more times in the second half and almost got torn on a few more times. The people who are on standing on the six yard box, it's their job to attack the ball. It seems the people who are standing between the six yard box and the penalty spot seem to just stand there <laughs> and it's on every occasion it's they're marked up with somebody uh it was uh uh Ver- is marking Skriniar I think and he just stands in place Skriniar goes right by him and that happens two more times in the second half I don't understand Roma's approach to defending it's a maybe a hybrid zone I don't fully get it but nobody seemed to mark the way they needed to I can't believe that's how it's designed but when something happens multiple times in the exact same way it feels like it's been practiced so I don't quite know what to make of that one very odd stuff. End um, of rant. <laughs> thank you for uh, putting a putting a period on that rant there, yeah. Tay Tay. Um, not much more for me to say about this game, apart from I thought that there was a comparison here. Uh, we were talking about players who were, you know, Sebastian Heller doing very well at Ajax and not being so good in the Premier League, and we had Veratut here with Roma who has been, you know, what, I think he won the ball for the first goal and was m- maybe for me one of Roma's best players in this. Who wasn't amazing at Aston Villa, by the way, I remember it. So interesting how those kind of things can shake out. Yeah, and I, I felt that midfield too of, of uh, Veritu and uh, Villar was, was one of the big success stories of this game for, for Roma. Um, Veritu has a bit more freedom and the knowledge that when he's got Villar alongside him, he's he's really good at retaining the ball and really good at, at, at dribbling. I saw a couple clips flying around on social media of Villar 
in particular keeping the ball under insane pressure and kind of wriggling out of uh, difficult situations in a, in a sort of tangy and dumbbelly sort of way. Um, but just before we stop talking about this game, I, I just want to give a bit of credit to the, the Roma attacking three of, of Pellegrini, uh, Pellegrino, uh, Zeko and Mkhitaryan, who I thought were were really good. Mkhitaryan in, in particular, um, I found a stat about him. He and Harry Kane are the only players in Europe's top five leagues this season to have scored... Um, at least eight goals and have uh, registered eight assists as well. So I just think Mkhitaryan, are we, are we starting to finally see him get his career back on track after three or four years after he left Dortmund of, of, of not really doing it? It seems like Roma are harnessing him, him in, a, in, a, in a bit of a better way. And, and with uh, Pellegrini and, and, and Zeko alongside him, uh, I really like that unit. And a lot of the time it felt like that, that trio were driving Roma forward. So I just wanted to, to mention what I thought was a good performance from those three. Yeah. Mickey, uh, Mickey and Veratout getting rehab in Rome. Is that the headline from this game? I don't know. Yes, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> All right, gents. I think that might just about wrap up our weekend review. Unless there's any more for any more. Nope. Uh, I, I just enjoyed that the only English word I heard in this game was drop, used repeatedly. And I feel like that was for Chris Smalling. I'm not sure. Oh, uh, I- actually... There was some more. Uh, when when Rome scored, there was na 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 na, which I think is uh, English. <laughs> I also have a, co- a correction to make, Ryan. I'm afraid um, it's yourself I have to correct. The conversation didn't come back round to it, but you mentioned that the Sheikh wasn't very keen on the FA Cup. Um, there's actually a story from two days ago. Sheikh Mansour has bought the actual FA Cup, so <laughs> he bought the the original one. So <laughs> he's maybe more true? keen of it. Yeah, that is entirely true. He's bought the historic original FA Cup um so there you oh go my God. i should also mention it it's the emirates fa cup as well which <laughs> would suggest that the shake is probably quite keen on it <laughs> yeah that's true i can't believe he bought the literal fa cup that is that's just like that's just too on the nose wouldn't shake men's buy the league cup that's the one they like the best isn't it it does seem to be the case yeah but i think that's maybe like the world cup like the jules remy trophy where if city win that a number of times they actually get it so uh <laughs> they get to keep it so maybe the fa cup he's envisaging he, you know he, he needs to buy yeah. that one he needs to dig in his wallet for that one well, uh, on, on that bombshell that the original FA Cup is off the market, perhaps we should, uh, we should bid our uh, listeners adieu. Tay-Tay and Graham, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Weekend Review this weekend, and this weekend, this Monday, and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Catch you next time. Also, thanks, Ryan. Catch you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.